Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Nick DeRuza, who is the president of the Ontario Public Services Employees Union, Local 231. That local represents the people who work for the Guelph Wellington Paramedic Service. So when you see those lineups of ambulances along Delhi Street for hours at a time, those are OPSU members behind the wheel and in the back looking after those patients. There are also the people in dispatch, scrambling to cover the gaps in the system when ambulances are stuck offloading patients instead of heading out to new calls. Now, you've heard a lot about code reds, the offload times, the burnout, but let's hear all about it from the perspective of the man who speaks for those workers. Ambulances and emergencies is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Now, the story is familiar at this point. Code red moments when there are no ambulances available to respond to an emergency. Even when it's not happening in our own backyard, the paramedics in Guelph and Wellington are covering for code reds in neighboring jurisdictions. So this is one of those problems that are penetrating the public consciousness no matter where you live. It's also the piece of the healthcare puzzle that doesn't get a lot of attention. We sit up when we hear the words code red or when we see those lineups of ambulances on social media, but the problems are ongoing. And in many ways, they're the same problems affecting other aspects of our healthcare system. A couple of weeks ago, when Opsu again posted a picture on social media of a long lineup of ambulances along Delhi Street, Nick DeRuza went on the local TV news and said that his members are feeling the same sort of burnout that we've previously discussed with doctors, nurses, and other hospital workers, because of course they are. If you and your colleagues are doing 9,400 hours of overtime, as was recently reported to the Wellington County Social Services Committee, then it doesn't seem so far-fetched to think that some paramedics might be wanting a career change. You don't hear about these issues as loudly from the paramedics' point of view when compared to nurses or doctors, so it takes some doing to get that first-hand perspective. How are people who man, so to speak, our ambulances dealing with this current healthcare crisis? DeRuz is going to try and help us understand that perspective on this edition of the Guelph Politicast. He will talk about what a day in the life of a paramedic looked like before COVID-19 and what it looks like today. And he will talk about the pressures that are systemic and the pressures that were caused by the pandemic on the service. We will also talk about paramedic services success despite their challenges, the human resources issues they're trying to overcome, and how paramedics approach standards of care beyond answering emergency calls. And finally, we will discuss the problems around doing advocacy on behalf of paramedics, whether paramedics are getting the support that they need from management and city government, and what we as a community can all do to help paramedics even as government action stalls. So I caught up with Nick DeRuza earlier this week via Zoom. Okay, Nick DeRuza, thank you so much for joining me today. For for having me today, I appreciate it. Well, let's talk. I mean, I, I appreciate that this first question is going to imply that there's such a thing as a normal day for a, a paramedic in Guelph, Wellington. But just to sort of set the bar, you know, going back to 2019, pre-pandemic days, you know, what was a day in the life of a, of a paramedic in Guelph, Wellington? I mean, what was like, I, I, I guess, a typical shift rather than saying what's a normal shift? <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, before COVID, there was many struggles that we have today that frankly didn't exist 
uh, or at least not to the degree that it exists today. Um, you know, prior prior to COVID, it was rare to get to base in the morning if, if I was, you know, working a day shift um, and the ambulance not be there. For the most part, it was there or on its way back from the hospital um, and, you know, back within half an hour type of thing. So, you'd, you know, be able to catch up on emails, maybe make a coffee um, and uh, get ready for the day. Um, from there, you know, we'd uh, wait for our first call. And don't get me wrong, some days we're busy. I can remember days, you know, doing... Uh, uh, you know, back to back to back calls and some overtime. Uh, but those were sort of the anomalies. Uh, those mm. days were, didn't come as frequently, uh, as, as we see now, which is almost every day. Um, so, you know, you'd have some downtime, be able to, you know, uh, do some deep cleans on the truck, uh, get around base, finish some base duties, uh, make sure, you know, the, the work area is clean. Uh, maybe even get some education in, uh, some additional learning, those types of things. Uh, which, which was great. It was pretty relaxed. Um, and, you know, I still think I have the best job in the world. Uh, and I, I would say I do, uh, but definitely the circumstances that, that we're doing them under has, has varied uh, differently now. Um, so if I was to fast forward to today, uh, you know, 2023, where we find ourselves, uh, I guess, you know, we're coming up on our third year post uh, or with the pandemic um, coming to an end now. Um, and the healthcare landscape has changed completely. Um, one of the largest things that many other municipalities suffered with uh, was ambulance offload delays, which we didn't see too much prior to COVID. Uh, Guelph General was doing a great job of being able to keep up. Um, at this point through the pandemic, with the additional stressors of uh, PPE, you know, we, we were talking just the other day at base with uh, with a student about how, um, you know, when I started uh, a cardiac arrest, you pretty well just wore gloves <laughs> and, uh, you know, nothing much more than that. And now, uh, you know, we have face shields and, and masks and gowns and, and uh, uh, N95s uh, and significant higher levels of PPE. Uh, and, you know, maybe it wasn't the right thing to do it the way we were doing it before, uh, but the concern for infection control and you bringing that home to your family uh, definitely wasn't as grave uh, or as pressing as it, as it is today. Um, and I think COVID just made us aware of that. Um, these days, often, you know, I, I get to work uh, and my day truck or night crew, whoever I'm relieving, isn't at the base. Uh, in which we we hop in another service vehicle and take it up to the Guelph General and end up uh, relieving them often on offload delay, um, where we'll stay with the patient. Uh, there's been you know some crews that have stayed with the patient their entire shift post taking them over, um, mm-hmm. but you know on, on average I'd say it's probably you know two two three four hours uh, we'll end up staying with with their patient, um, and then you know you clear you might get back to base might not and then there's another call waiting for you. Yeah. It- I guess starting from there, it makes you you wonder when you talk about how sort of bad things have gotten since the pandemic. And I think people understand, you know, we're we're taking a little more health cautions in terms of like wearing masks and face shields and all gloves, all that, especially in the early days when we had precious little idea about how the virus worked. But from your point of view, as a paramedic, was there kind of like maybe an ignorance, and this is not an ignorance directed at, you know, the the paramedics or the government or whatever, just sort of a general ignorance of maybe how susceptible the system was, as in, like, the, the public health crisis, although bad on its own, kind of exposed big issues that we weren't seeing um, under the surface. Well, I, absolutely. Um, what we were seeing before was, you know, a healthcare system keeping up. Not, I don't want to say they were ahead of the curve. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, we're the most progressive healthcare system in the world. 
um, by any means, there were still significant wait times for specialists. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Ontario Nurses Association actually in the 90s, uh, if I can, you know, take us in a time capsule and take a quick travel there, um, a bit of back to the future, uh, you know, they were warning of this healthcare um, human resources shortage back then. They were saying, you know, the amount of nurses at that point um, around the year of 2020 set to retire uh, would significantly outweigh how many that could be replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, so you add that into the healthcare system and nurses are everywhere, right? They're in our long-term care homes, our retirement homes, uh, the operating rooms, they're in the emergency departments, ICUs, they're absolutely everywhere um, and function in highly administrative roles uh, as well to keep the system running. And what we found is one, you know, there wasn't the anticipation to replace these people as they've set to retire. Um, right. And what happened with a lot of them with the pandemic is they said, well, you know what, I'm a year, I'm a two years away from when I thought I was going to retire. Um, maybe I just call it quits now, right? right. Well, I'm ahead and, and uh, come out relatively unscathed. Because um, what we've seen, even in the, the eMERGE department and with a lot of healthcare staff and paramedics are no different, is that people are starting to think, you know, they love their job, they do, but they're now being put in very difficult moral positions. You know, I still want to help patients, all my members, you know, they still want to help patients, the nurses too. That's why you get into it, right? Um, but we're, we're in spots where we can, we can't always provide the care that we know patients deserve, uh, the care that they, you know, expect to receive. And unfortunately, sometimes even the standards, uh, we're expected to uphold, uh, just from workload volumes and, uh, um, you know, nurses feel that the most, uh, but we're no different. We're finding ourselves now, um, on offload delay and back hallways, uh, with patients for hours and our protocols, Adam, they're meant to be you know, emergency medicine, they're meant to be, these are the interventions you need to do prior to getting them to the hospital um, to hopefully help with better outcomes um, and and patient comfort. They're not meant for us to, you know, be with the patient for hours on hours. You're kind of looking at uh, the ministry standard, which is supposed to be arrival of the hospital to offload patient 30 minutes at most, um, Mm -hmm. which is never being met unless, you know, it's a very, very critical patient. But even then, um, there's some who end up having to wait because there's no room. Right. And I, I took this from a report that uh, paramedic chief Dewar gave to the Social Services Committee, the Wellington County Social Services Committee, that the average delay of 90 minutes. So that's three times as long as the 30 minutes you're talking about. Um, there are 15 ambulances uh, that cover Guelph and Wellington County. Um you know, most of them are, are, you know, sort of out all day, every day. And as, as you said, there are exceptions, um, you know, offload delays are responsible for 9,400 hours uh, of overtime for the paramedics. I, I guess one of the things that, I, you know, I, I think about in this is, you know, when we see the pictures and obviously is great about posting on social media, like, look at this mess, <laughs> you know, here we are again, another code red, but it, when it's, a code red, it's there front of mind, but these statistics paint a picture that this is not, this is happening every day and not just the day that somebody from Opsu is out there with their, their phone taking pictures, right? Yeah. And this, and this is a daily occurrence. It just depends how much, uh, you know, the world sort of cooperates, uh, mm. if you will. Um, you know, there's times where we've had, you know, have heavy volume days as, as we're, we're speaking about and our capacity. We would still go into code red before offload delays. Rarely, though, before offload delays were an issue. Um, I mean, you know, if, if uh, 20 bolts of lightning strike all at once, what are you going to do? You're out of ambulances. And that's right. not common. Um, but when, you know, we're looking at it from 
Well, now you got five or six ambulances that uh, has been determined. That's what needs to for coverage areas, right? For coverage zones. Um, when they're all on offload delay, you're taking those cars right out of the immediate picture. Um, so it takes a lot less lightning bolts uh, uh, to make that the perfect storm uh, where you're out of ambulances. And the hardest part is, is um, you know, the priority often goes for deployments where the most likelihood the next call is coming from, uh, which for the County of Wellington um, is less likely to be up there and much more in the city of Guelph. Um, mm. So what ends up happening is that large coverage area um, becomes depleted of ambulances that are pulled into the city of Guelph most often, uh, you know, whether they're on offload delay or doing calls or on a standby, um, meaning, you know, should you call for an ambulance and you're a resident of Wellington County, uh, you know, the closer you are to Waterloo or Dufferin County is your best chance at times for an ambulance um, or outside closer to Gray County. Um, but when you're in the middle, there's, you know, the relief isn't coming from anywhere soon. So, um, you know, whether it's happened or not, particularly in the middle of our coverage area, um, I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but when you think about it, we had an issue where there was a, a cardiac arrest one night while we were in code red that night. Uh, and it took, I believe it was 37 minutes for a transporting unit to go. Uh, we were lucky in the sense that uh, one of our uh, acting supervisors, so he's a member of ours, but would fill in, um, was able to clear himself up and, and respond. Um, but we're talking if he wasn't able to um, and, you know, to transport, like to get to definitive care, to get to the hospital. Um, where there just wasn't a sole paramedic there, like 37 minutes. And that was just outside of town here, just, uh, I think, southwest of Guelph here. And um, it, it's unbelievable because that same night, Waterloo was in code red. Um, mm-hmm. Dufferin County was was suffering. So there was no one to help to help us um, because they couldn't even help their own coverage area. And it's hard because um, I, I grew up in Guelph. Uh, I, I was a Guelph, raised a Guelph fight, and my family is all still there. Um, so, you know, it's hard to know that, you know, my parents, although they live around the corner from a paramedic base, uh, the, the likelihood of that ambulance being there when they need it is very much a dice roll, um, which, which is, can be heartbreaking, especially in the life or death situation, um, like a cardiac arrest. You know, you mentioned, you know, uh, Dufferin and uh, Waterloo region as well. And, and we hear this on the news a lot that, you know, Waterloo goes into code red. Well, Guelph Wellington helps them out or Perth or whoever. Um, and, and it's the, the vice versa thing, too. And it, it's this bizarre thing that you have these massive coverage areas. So, I mean, if something happens in Breslau, let's say, you might have a good better chance of a Guelph Wellington paramedic being able to respond as opposed to a Waterloo region med- paramedic being able to respond. For sure. Um, we have uh, some bases that are closer than theirs. So there's oftentimes we'll go out to like Mary Hill. Uh, mm. or Breslau, even though that might be their coverage area. And same thing with like south of town. Um, there's sort of a blend. Who is it? North Dumfries, which is Waterloo or Hamilton right. um, and their Flamborough area, or even Halton region with Campbellville. Um, mm. And then plus Lynch County with us. So those are always understandable where, you know, you might have to help out your neighbor. Um, but when we're talking about having to head into the downtown core of the city of Guelph or uh, downtown Kitchener or Waterloo, um, from a different coverage area, there's a problem um, because there isn't always like that episode of the cardiac arrest, someone available to lend that hand. We're all very strained. Um, and the fact that, you know, we have to rely on neighboring services, although that was okay for, you know, pre-COVID days um, to have to call in Guelph to Waterloo, whatever, the, or Waterloo to Guelph, um, the services don't have the trucks to spare anymore. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like, 
trying to raise awareness about all of this. Uh, I, I think we've had some good coverage and good conversations about how doctors have been affected by the the pressures of the pandemic and where we are now. You mentioned nurses before. Nurses have three or four advocacy organizations. Um, well, you know, the PSWs too, there's been a lot of, I, I, I haven't, and this this isn't, I don't mean this as a criticism, but I just feel like the, the one piece of this is, that has been missing has been the paramedics. And I know OPSU has been doing its part and there's the, the Paramedics uh, Association of Ontario. I think I got that name wrong, but, you know, it, it just feels like if we're talking about 26 out of 25 to, to use the baseball team analogy, it feels like paramedics are now 26 out of 25 in terms of who uh, getting this attention on the, the gaps in the healthcare system. Uh, and you're a hundred percent right. Uh, and, and that's a common feeling among paramedics. Uh, absolutely. And we hear it from, you know, other members as well. Um, it's always been, uh, I believe there was, there was a saying years ago when it was talking about, um, you know, the fire department is the, is, you know, the bravest police department is the finest and EMS is the forgotten. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we're a newer profession as far as how far we've come in and advanced. Um, and just trying to get that identity out of what we can do, um, the capabilities of it, uh, of our profession, um, and, and just sort of the day to day of what we actually do. People still, uh, many times will show up on scenes and, uh, will get referred to as ambulance drivers. And it's, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I do drive an ambulance. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but we're, we're so much more than that, right? Uh, we, we can run a lot of the stuff we do uh, in the emergent procedures we do is the same stuff they do in the hospital um, with a lot less people, um, <laughs> sometimes even, you know, less education um, and less practice time on these sort of skills, um, but, but still just as important. Um, and I think a large part of it has to do with, we have our, you know, paramedics association, uh, that's an opt-in, you're not required to join the association, um, where, you know, the Ontario Nurses Association who, um, you know, uh, and it was their bargaining unit. Mm. Um, we don't, we don't have a union that, uh, belongs to paramedics across the province. There's paramedics who belong to QP, SEIU. Um, you know, I, I think there's even there, who knows, there might even be some that belong to the CAW. Um, I know out east there is some. So it, we don't have really a centralized voice is the hard part. Um, mm. and we're heavily regulated too. Um, you know, we have responsibilities to our employer. Um, not just for patient care, but in procedures, uh, but for their daily function. Um, we're responsible to our base hospital, um, which is uh, Seeper in Hamilton, uh, Ontario there, who certifies us in all our advanced medical skills, so anything that requires delegation from a doctor. Um, and then on top of that, the Ministry of Health has their hand in the pot, um, regulating you know the basic life support standards, um, and as well as uh, many of the other administrative parts of paramedicine, um, and often deal with complaints. Um, mm -hmm. and those types of natures. So there's a lot of people who have their hand in the pot, um, causing our profession, one, to move slowly, um, where we could be so much more advanced than where we are now, and two, uh, definitely limiting on where the advocacy can go, because uh, we don't really have a centralized voice in the province, unfortunately. And until, you know, maybe the day comes where we get our own professional college, um, similar to physiotherapists and chiropractors and nurses and respiratory therapists. Um, but at this point, Unfortunately, the government views us as technicians. Look at it just the other way too. You know, there's the the adaptability of your service because you have, at least in Guelph, Wellington, they're doing this kind of home care program too for 
for people who you know who have difficulty leaving their home you have uh vaccine distribution i know paramedics were involved in that too get, you know many of them in their off time going and helping at vaccine clinics um you know you've kind of been empowered in this this program fit to sit that this program to kind of help cope with the offload delays by you know giving paramedics sort of like, i guess a diagnostic function to see if someone can you know wait in the emergency room for for services as opposed to waiting in the ambulance are you and other paramedics kind of damned by your adaptability and you know the the success you've shown at sort of working outside the what are the technical bounds of the profession you're being asked to do it's like oh look look they were able to do this and make it a success what else can we have our paramedics do <laughs> and uh i love i love the the version like are we damned by it right <laughs> like that's uh um I, well in some ways i guess we are um because paramedics you know from what i see from my coworkers, um and you know some of them are very 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 good friends of mine um and uh, all of them they really look out for each other it's probably one of the most um, admirable things about them and you know i can't speak everywhere but definitely at guelph wellington um where where i also work um it's absolutely admirable uh the level of resiliency and adaptability that they have and just from the nature of the job right like uh we, we never know what we're going to never know um you know what's going to be presented in to us um and sometimes you know it's sad or traumatic or it's just plain old i i never thought in a million years this could happen mm. um so, you know, the occupational stressors of never knowing what you're going to, um, a lot of times keeps paramedics afloat, but that's what makes us so versatile and adaptive to say, you know what, if there's a hole somewhere in the healthcare system, um, we can plug it. Um, we're very, you know, yes, we're, we're specialists in pre-hospital care, um, but we have knowledge that goes beyond that and experiences, especially that go beyond that. Um, I, I've heard it described before, you know, paramedicine, a lot of the times can be, you know, 80% medicine, 20% social work. Um, because, you know, we're going to people's homes and actually seeing how they're living, um, what might be contributing to it, whether it's one thing to say, you know, do you have enough support at home? Um, but when I go to pick someone up from a fall and I see, you know, you have no lifter bars anywhere, um, you have, you know, rugs that are half flipped up, um, you know, boxes on the floor, all tripping hazards. Um, it, that's really where the connection is um, from bringing sort of the, the health care into the home. Um, is the people who who see it all every day. And uh, the sad part about it is, you know, we see how many people live and, it, and it's great. And, um, you know, they worked hard through their life and and uh, are able to, you know, afford extra supports and cares uh, and, and uh, you know, sort of tools in their home to help them stay longer. Um, but then we see the other side of it, you know, maybe the people who didn't quite get a fair shake in life mm. and, uh, you know, are living in borderline squalor, if not, you know, homeless. Um and, and it's very much a come as you are to EMS, right? You can call us and we're, we're going to show up and we're going to give you the best care we can, um, whatever that situation might be. And, um, you know, we don't care if we're picking you up in, uh, you know, a, a custom 4,000 square foot house neighborhood or off the side of the road uh, downtown. That's that's very irrelevant to us. Um, and, and thus, you know, making us probably the best profession uh, to look around and say, you know, whatever needs to be done, we're willing to do it as long as it's helping people. I I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, it's, again, talking about being damned, it's um, police knock at the door. You may not let a policeman into your house. Uh, a social worker knocks at the door. You may not let a social worker into your house. Paramedic knocks on the door. You 
it's because you asked them to come there to help you out in an emergency. So again, you know, paramedics are kind of the only ones who see this stuff, right? It, it, it and that there's a, there has to be a mental cost to that as well. Not just the rush of, you know, saving somebody's life, but the, the the appreciation even if it just occurs to you like hours after the fact like oh my god no wonder that person suffered xyz you know that's that's not on the job no no and it, and it's hard right you you think about even running uh i use the cardiac arrest because it's you know common late, like late person you can understand right. those types of calls and we do them frequently yeah um and you know it's 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 different for us when we're sitting in you know somebody's living room running a cardiac arrest and you look down the wall and you know you try not to do it once in a while you catch yourself doing it um and you look down the wall and you know you see the photos the photos from when you know they might have got married 50 years ago um their kids growing up their grandkids um or if they're younger you know it, it makes it even harder um and it makes that part very very real and if you ask paramedics what bothers them the most, for the majority of them, it's not those big calls. It's not those big car accidents or, you know, industrial um, machinery mishaps, uh, the things that you would see on TV as, oh, geez, that's traumatic. Um, it's it's often the circumstances people find themselves in. Um, and there's quite a bit of paramedics uh, right now. I, I, I don't want to be misquoted, but I, I, we do cover the most, like our union covers the most amount of lost time. Um, per any group for the, for the city. Uh, and that has to do with just purely the mental strain. Um, mm. the old, you know, uh, suck it up attitude. This is what you signed up for. Uh, how can you truly know what you signed up for? Um, and many people struggle with that and, and trying to find ways to cope. Um, and you know, we do have a peer, like we have a peer support team at work, uh, where, you know, if you do a big call and it's identified, you'll get a call from, uh, one of your peers, uh, who has extra training. Um, and likewise, many, many people go to, you know, therapy on a regular basis or, um, you know, use their benefits, uh, to be able to go to therapy. Um, where it gets hard is a lot of the times, uh, you know, we have a lot of part-time staff who cover huge amount of hours and, uh, without getting in myself to any legal trouble, <laughs> right now we have, you know, before, um, before an arbitrator, uh, that's just on hold right now, uh, cause we're bargaining, but, uh, you know, the argument of whether our part-timers were going to get their mental health benefit at $2,000 or not, um, you know, sort of as we negotiated, because it goes very quickly speaking to a psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, you know, the city does, and, and in a good way and above and beyond, you know, offers us uh, EAP, the Employee Assistant Program and a trauma care. Um, but a lot of people look at it as, you know, I, I want to be able to seek my own help and choose who I go to speak to um, and, you know, not have to worry about the administrative piece of it. Um, so it's definitely a barrier to, to people receiving care and you just hope that, you know, coworkers are able to get it, uh, you know, bef before it turns into something really bad or, um, you know, they suffer too much with it. So, you know, speaking as the union head, are, are you, and perhaps speaking on behalf of some of the other paramedics, are you feeling well supported by your own managers um and also you know sort of their managers at the city of guelph or, or do you feel that they're doing as much as they can do regardless of sort of what the the limitations are in terms of funding and you know the ministry oversight and those kind of things are you feel like they're doing everything they can do for you right now um it's a, it's a tough <laughs> question and i appreciate it and i, I i'm gonna answer um if you're asking the members and, you know, speaking on, on behalf of OPSU Local 231, um, 
the answer is no. You mm-hmm. know, they, they don't feel quite the support um, that maybe they should. And if I'm able to generalize it, uh, it is a common feeling across the province. And I guess I think what makes it difficult is as we talk about, you know, um, the hot potato game of whose problem is offload delay, right? When in reality, it's all of our problem. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really whose problem it is, is the residents of wherever the offload delay crisis has occurred. Um, mm-hmm. Often they point to places like Hamilton and Toronto and say, well, they've had offload Waterloo region, even they've had offload delays for 20 years. Um, but, but, you know, that's not the point. The point is, um, it gets hard for people when they can't provide the service they want to give to the community. Um, and it, and that wears on them. Uh, and it's not, and the culture is shifting. Don't get me wrong. Um, where, you know, it's okay to talk about how you're feeling and it's okay to say, you know, I'm not good with that call. Um, mm. that bothered me and, 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 uh, which is a great thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, as much as we see council, asking for upstaffs um, or, you know, being presented with, with an upstaff, um, we're all saying, you know, that's too little, too late. Um, part of the big problem we're going through right now with a lot of our members that they're upset about is often our bases. Um, you look mm-hmm. at, we opened a new one on Gordon Street mm-hmm. um, right next, and we've had, you know, ample of problems for members reported there, um, you know, safety, security, um the quality of the building itself. And then they look over and see, you know, the Taj Mahal police station, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that, that towers over the downtown um, like church of our lady once did. And uh, you know, it, it can be disheartening uh, that they feel, you know, there's other areas that have better defined themselves uh, mm. getting, you know, more support and more listening years um, where we're sitting here saying, you know, there's got to be something else you can do, but, ha- and, Unfortunately, lip service is the result that most get. I'm trying not to get fired here. <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't want to get you fired. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it might be a favor at this point for me. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's tough. And, I, you know, they deserve, and I, you know, the patients deserve better. And the members, my coworkers, they all deserve better. Um, and we're just trying to figure out that way now of how we can best support them and, and continue advocating to get them, um, I guess, if, uh, you know, a, a fair deal out of this. I guess then it makes me wonder what we, you know, what's kind of in our power to do. And you're right about the game of hot potato. And I mean, and it's legitimate too that, you know, a lot of this is dependent on provincial funding. And, you know, as we're t- speaking, they're, they're getting ready to help the provincial premiers are, are meeting with the, the federal government to talk about increasing health funding. But aside from letting the 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 big guys and 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 ladies sort that all that out uh i mean for those of us who you know want to do our part and and support paramedics like is there anything we can do uh absolutely uh one of the big things that I, i i encourage people to do um is uh is always try to make the right call if there's another avenue you know you can go down um the problem is a lot of people they don't have access to a family physician Mm. Right. So, you know, where a simple cold in, in, you know, an elderly person or immunocompromised, you might say, well, that's nothing. Um, but, you know, if it develops into a pneumonia, you know, you or I might be able to fight it off pretty easily, um, right. but they're not able to. Right. And then on top of not being able to, um, they're not feeling well, don't exactly have the supports. So they can't get into their family doctor. Um, you know, we don't have any readily available urgent care clinics. There is some walk-in clinics with diagnostic um, limitations for sure. Um, this makes them really have no choice but to think, where do I go? And, and that, 
again, the come as you are applies to the emergency department as well, um, who won't turn you away. Uh, so you're able to get the care that you, you need and you want. And at the same time, we can't really expect, you know, um, the layperson maybe to understand fully what should an emergency service be be used for, right? right. Um, so part of that has to go with, with our dispatch reform and, uh, you know, better assessments and maybe having some clinicians in dispatch. So when you call 911, getting maybe to the bottom of what's going on. Um, there's many times, you know, from the information we're given and they have to follow a prompt card, um, you know, it, we get set lights and sirens on the way there. Um, and then we're returning by putting them in the waiting room, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the priorities aren't exactly matching. You know, they are looking at a dispatch reform called MSDS, um, which should be in action. You know, Peel just put it in, into role um, and, and it better prioritizes the calls, um, but doesn't solve the root problem of people need a place to go other than the hospital and, uh, uh, you know, a line to call, uh, not like telehealth where you got to wait quite a while to speak to someone. Um, but rather uh, a clinician who's able to say, you know what, um, we can send you to urgent care, which isn't even available in our town, right? Um, right. So there's just needs to be better supports in place for that primary care. Um, so the emergency department can focus on emergencies um, and less of that primary care um, or even functioning partially as long term the, mm. um, with people who you know aren't able to go home, uh, but have to go to a nursing home um, with nowhere to go. Uh, or similarly, you know, they come from the nursing homes because, frankly, there's not enough staff. Um, you know, they don't always have a doctor um, in the building, right, um, to be able to provide that care. Uh, so, again, the catch-all is an ambulance. Right. So, sorry, I got distracted there and went down <laughs> a rabbit hole. Um, but, you know, beyond just trying to advocate in the right spot, um, maybe making the right call, I would say advocation is the biggest thing. You know, talking uh, to the MPPs and, and trying to get a concrete result. Um, and if not, even just sharing the crisis we're in. We've had amazing support from the people of Guelph and, and, and surrounding areas, you know, sharing like you talked about uh, the union's tweets and, and uh, posts that we've made in the past. And um, people like you who are willing to take the time and, and listen to me, not sure what I did to deserve <laughs> that, but I appreciate it. Um, and just sort of hearing and being aware um, of the problem. So uh, to help help us advocate uh, for the profession, move it forward, uh, but ultimately um, help make healthcare safer uh, and more appropriate and in, in, in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hear you on the advocacy piece and and the, the total healthcare situation. I guess it, it just in terms of like the the the, the immediacy and the reaction of the government, it seems to come down to money. It's like you you. I've seen so many press comments where people said point blank to Doug Ford. It's like, well, what can you do? And he's like, well, I'm going to go to Justin Trudeau and ask for more money. It's like, well, okay, great. That's fine. You probably should ask for more money from the federal government. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it just it's it strikes me as someone who is uh, an observer and as someone who, who, you know, covers and analyzes these things. It's just, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out as as a person with limited skill set in this area just like how can i and people like me help out and it and it just i feel like i'm banging my head against the wall so i can't imagine how you and and people you work with and anyone in the healthcare industry is feeling and i guess are we just stuck here and maybe this is more commentary than question but are are we kind of like stuck here until 
you know, waiting. <laughs> Even the dogs yeah. upset. Like, waiting yeah. for <laughs> we're just stuck here waiting for someone to get it and someone who gets it being put in a position where they can take action. Um, I, I think a large part of it is, you know, I, I can see firsthand uh, and, and paramedics can and anybody in the healthcare system can see sort of what happens to these patients a lot of the times when care is delayed. Um, or not available to them uh, when they need it. And uh, a lot of us are stricken by, you know, uh, Personal Health Information Protection Act. And I can't give too many details um, or anything that could really indicate who this person, the patient uh, is, right, right. Um, when bad things happen. Um, so I wish people were able to, uh, you know, more freely um, express uh, or share their 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 examples, right? You know, I called for an ambulance for my mom. This isn't me personally. I'm just using an example um, that, you know, I'd seen in the media before. I called it for an ambulance for my mom. She had a fall. It took three hours for them to get there to check her and help her up off the floor. Um, you know, in what world do we let a 90-year-old lie on the floor for three hours, right? Um, and, and those are the prime examples that I think the stories need to get out. As much as I can, you know, sit down and do a root cause analysis, and uh, say, well, you know, this is how many dollars it'll take to fix the healthcare crisis. You need to hire these people. You need to pay them more. Um, you need to respect them. You know, uh, it, it's hard. It, it's hard because there is no answer. I think looking at it um, from an emotional point of view, which, you know, sounds counterintuitive to what the, uh, you know, what numbers work to, but looking mm -hmm. at it as, as, you know, these are people, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's my neighbor. That's uh, my, my loved one that's suffering. Um, that's my that's my teacher, you know, when I was in kindergarten, who, whatever the case may be, I'm just relating it and remembering every time we read about these code reds, um, if, if people could share their experiences about what's going on and say, you know, um, advocate for their fellow citizens and say, you know, they deserve better. Because mm -hmm. um, as much as, you know, I, I can sit here and as a, as a labor union, I guess that's my role to complain about, <laughs> you know, what was us. Um, at the same time, it's not... It, what, what stresses us out and what makes us, you know, have more mental problems and issues that arise is the fact that we're seeing people um, suffering. So, you know, if people are able to advocate and, you know, share their stories, I think that's a, that's a great start. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the things I never want to minimize is uh, quite frequently, uh, like very frequently, uh, you know, we'll be in line somewhere trying to grab a quick coffee or a bite to eat and uh, someone will pay for our order. They don't even make eye contact with us. We get there and they're like, it, you know, someone paid for it. Uh, and, you know, it, it means the world because um, whether we help them directly or not, uh, they they were taking the time out to show their appreciation, you know, and I, I, I'd prefer the whole healthcare system be solved rather than, um, <laughs> you know, someone buy my lunch and coffee. Uh, but at the same time, you know, those little gestures mean the world, uh, especially if you're having a bad day or night and you're like, mm. you know, why am I doing this? And then uh, something like that happens and it restores a little bit of faith in humanity. And hopefully, uh, you know, people are able to advocate in the right, right avenues. Um, and like I said, maybe the profession is able to, to do it itself too. Well, I guess we'll have to see how it all turns out in the weeks and months to come. But for now, uh, Nick DeRuza, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. It was a pleasure. And once again, that was Nick DeRuza. You can follow Opsu Local 231 on Twitter at Local 231 OPSEU, all one word. Guelph Wellington Paramedic Services Chief Stephen Dewar delivers a monthly report about the demands on the service at Wellington County Social Services Committee meeting. The February meeting's been cancelled, but you can look for it 
in March. And to learn more about our local paramedic service, you can find them under the living section of the City of Guelph website or on Twitter at GW Paramedic, all one word. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, you can go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week and until then we will see you next time (laughs) 